for the Mainland Podcast, episode number 28. Uh, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor of TheMainland.com. Joining me, Daniel McGann is my co-host this week. Daniel, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? 28th uh, podcast, and we played 28 games. Hopefully we can uh, get some more points on our belt, because we're sitting barely above 28 <laughs> points with 29 right now. So let's let's get some wins, Orlando. Yeah, no kidding. I, you know, I was looking at the schedule today, and it actually made me smile because I looked at it and I went Sporting Kansas City, and then it's like Chicago, Montreal, uh, New York City FC, Philadelphia. I'm like, hmm, those are some teams we could actually maybe get some points against. Yeah, and, uh, and coming up, I mean that uh, you you got to look for the next game always. I mean, this weekend's the most important, but that Montreal match uh, could uh, it could not come at a better time for us. We have got to take three points. Uh, in that game, and I feel like that's probably the most pivotal game moving forward. But of course, uh, we got to we got to talk about uh, our last match that we just had. That's right. The uh, the good guys fell again, three nil losers at New England. Uh, what was interesting to me about the game was that it appeared that Orlando City was going to come out with a uh, they came out with a bit of a new look, and they wanted to play basically mistake-free and and keep from conceding goals and play a defensive style and maybe try to get one on the counter. It looked to me like it was announced sort of as a 4-3-3, and then it ended up being more of a 4-5-1, and I think it was one of those you know amorphous shapes that is like supposed to be more of a 4-3-3 in the attack and a 4-5-1 when you're defending. But unfortunately for Orlando City, they ended up doing almost solely defending uh, the whole game, and the problem was that there was a huge gap between the midfield and Pedro Rivero, who was working as the lone striker up top. And to Pedro's credit, he really did a good job of holding up the play whenever he could. His problem was with his lack of pace, he was sometimes forced to to take on two or three defenders, and that's just not his game at all, uh, while he tried to wait for some, some help to arrive, and it just wasn't working out. I, I thought that overall the strategy was sound. Unfortunately, they gave up a goal right before the half, and you look at that 3-0 scoreline and you think, well, maybe, you know, it could have been worse because certainly Tally Hall made some unbelievable saves. But if you, if you look at the score sheet, you, you know, you see that they didn't even get the second goal till late in the game. And then the third one came four minutes into stoppage time. So it was, you know, on one hand, Tally Hall helped the fact that it could have been, you know, more like a one nothing game. But on the other hand, you know, all... They did. They did end up getting the three, and I don't think it's an unfair scoreline uh, or a flattering scoreline, despite the fact that their goals were so late. What was your overall takeaway on the game? Well, without Tally Hall, it could have been six, seven, eight, zero. Uh, I mean, Orlando was on the back foot the entire time, and if that's the way that you want to play, and you want to play that defensive style, like you said, we we were playing that morphing four-three-three where we would turn into a four-five-one whenever they had possession. Um, that that's perfectly fine to do that on the road, but I have to harp on one thing that I've been harping on all year, and I feel bad for doing this, but Pedro Obero is so slow. He <laughs> cannot play up top by himself in a 4-5-1 or in counterattacking style soccer. It just, he can't do it. He has great feet. And we've seen that he has tenacity, that he has great ball control, that he's got a great shot. We've seen those abilities when he's close to the box. But our problem is getting him close to the box. Uh, if, he, if he played with another striker uh, where he was able to hold the ball up 
uh, or if he was able to, to work off the striker with somebody up top with another forward, maybe him and Kyle Aaron, that would quite possibly be the best we could do. But he is just way too slow at this level uh, to ask him to play up, up top by himself and, and to create. He's got to be inside the box. He's got to be close to the, the, the goal area, and that's where you're going to see him do the things that he can do with his wonderful feet. But uh, just with I, I wasn't quite sure when I looked at the lineup how that was going to work out. And then whenever the game started, I said, uh-oh, to myself, because I knew we weren't <laughs> going to have the ability uh, playing that 4-5-1 unless – you saw Winter really making uh, runs off of Rivera, which he wasn't necessarily doing. He was playing more defensive. So it was, it was upsetting. I, I, I like the idea of playing on the road, um, just not with the, the players that we had in certain positions. And if, if you're going to play Rivera up top, you're going to have to pair him with uh, a winger that's willing to run off of him whenever he has the ball. And we weren't doing that. Yeah, I just think there was this, there was some certainly some spacing issues and and. New England sort of forced that a bit, I think, because of their their pace and their they really have a dynamic attack. I thought I think they're in a really good form. Didn't expect to get three points out of that. Was hoping maybe to get a tie up there, uh, but that obviously wasn't in the cards. Very short-handed team. No Darwin Saren, no Kaká, um, no Kyle Laren, obviously, and Carlos Rivas on yellow card suspension. So it was it was always going to be tough to get points out of that match. Uh, one of the bright spots for me, though, was uh, later in the game, and maybe he should have come in earlier, Brian Roach has really, for the first time, showed an unbelievable amount of skill and showed off what you know, what the coaches saw in him when they signed him as a young DP out of, uh, out of Columbia. What did you take away from Brian Roach's performance? I was wishing he would have started the match in that 4-3-3 or that 4-5-1 up top. I mean, quite honestly, he's he shows the athleticism. He shows the touch. He shows the that trickiness that you need if you're going to play by yourself to kind of get around one or two defenders. And we saw that where he beat two defenders by himself to, to, to put a, a shot on. And I think he had three shots in 22 minutes. And how many we had before that? Uh, it was, it was a big one, I believe. So uh, I, I was, I was excited to see his ability because it's something that we had been lacking. And with Carlos Rivas showing it over the past couple weeks with that pace and, and kind of, Picking up the game a little bit more, you can see why the the team invested in those two players. Um, but I mean, I kind of wish Roquez would have started over Ribeiro. But it, he's a, he's a young player, you know. He hasn't had a lot of minutes. It's understandable that he didn't. Uh, it was it was good to see him on the pitch. And now that we can add his name uh, to that lineup uh, and on that bench, then he's he's definitely going to be a weapon moving forward. And hopefully, he can grow with Orlando. Uh, another thing that I was you know, I saw from the match, and we've noticed this a few times whenever either uh, Saren or Higuita have been out. Without those two guys and our our defensive midfield setup and our midfield setup, our team is drastically different. Uh, both of them just bring a type of tenacity to the game that, uh-huh. as an expansion side, we need. And they're both 100% all the time running as much as they possibly can. They cover so much ground. And missing Saren, uh, hopefully, uh, cross our fingers, his, his knee is going to be perfectly fine. But uh, when you're missing one of those two guys, those cogs in your midfield, our team looks drastically different. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I think that they're such a good pairing. And, you know, I think you've seen that when they're on, the team plays very well. When one of them are off or both of them are off, the team, you know, struggles a bit. Yeah. I, I think that certainly is the key to Orlando City. But, you know, as you mentioned, we'll get to more into to Saren here in a minute. Uh, but 
you know, he may be injured and may be out for a while, but it's it's going to be interesting to see moving forward, you know, what that defensive midfield is going to look like and, and really what the team is going to look like because there's going to be drastic changes. If Brexia comes back, that's going to make some for some changes right there. Uh, it's going to force some different people into different areas. Maybe Shea comes back as a left back again, and, and we get to play Rivas and Shea together. Uh, wow. It's going to be it, – it, it'll be interesting to see what Adrian Heath does because obviously this team is now at the point where it needs every point possible. It needs to maximize points from here on out. And the, the good thing is that most of the teams that are playing the rest of the way are teams that – are beatable, very beatable, as you know, as evidenced by their record. Well, so, well, Michael, the schedule sets up nicely, I think. Yeah, Michael. Now, I wanted to talk about that just for a minute. Uh, just thinking about what we had at the beginning of the year, I know a lot of people have been harping upon, you know, or Orlando, you know, doesn't look very good. Well, we're missing a lot of our mainstay pieces. I mean, at the beginning of the year, you got to remember Breck Shea was supposed to play left back, Carlos Rivas supposed to play in front of him. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, you were going to have Ramos and Molino, and that speed would have dominated teams. We saw that with New England. Their speed of play from their outside wingers uh, pushing up, just we, we had no answer for that. And that's why they can find that form that they're in right now. And unfortunately, that's what Orlando's been lacking this year, is just the continuity from the lineup, uh, having the ability to, to pull on those types of players and pull on that type of speed to to push other people back in their halves and dominate possession. Yeah, the, the, the guys that you want to look at or the teams you want to look at, uh, New England's certainly a team that, that Orlando City would like to emulate, and Columbus Crew is another you know another squad like that where the attack is dynamic. And don't forget, Martin Patterson was supposed to be the go-to veteran striker up top, and you know he doesn't have bad pace, and he's he's got real good ball skills, but... You know his his lingering injury problems forced Kyle Lahren into some early you know early service, and we never got to see the lineup that that the team envisioned. And we know as as all expansion teams are, it was a thin team to begin with. And when you pile up this insane number of injuries, international call ups, and suspensions all together, it was always going to be very very difficult. I think for the team to be sitting. Uh, just a point or two away from a playoff spot at this point in the season, given all that's happened, is probably the best we could have hoped for. Yeah, uh, definitely with all the injuries that have taken place. I mean, so many so many matches missed by this team because of injuries, suspensions, and call-ups. Uh, it's, it's quite uh, remarkable that we're still sitting here saying that we have important games running down to the end of the year because we could be fighting for that playoff spot. And you know, with with Park Patterson being injured, uh, not being able to get on the the pitch, there's always a bright spot with that, and that would be Kyle Laren being able to to find his his uh, role in the MLS and in, in MLS, and uh, he's he's been fantastic. I mean, rookie of the year for me, of course, uh, and for him to get those game minutes and and to be able to learn so much on the field this year uh, only bodes well for the future for him. Absolutely, and uh, you know, getting back to New England, I thought that the team. They had a sound strategy. They, given the the lineup that they had, I thought that it was working very well. If they could have got to halftime, who knows, you know how that second half unfolds. And once you're once you're behind a goal, um, you know, and you're already stretched to the max, uh, lineup wise, it's it, things get very very difficult. Um, for me, I, we talked about Rochez. I thought he played well. I thought that Tally. I mean, obviously Tally Hall played very very well. Uh, I thought David uh, David Mateos had his best game so far uh, in an Orlando City shirt. Um, and, you know, 
other than that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot that you could positive you could really point to. Uh, I'm assuming you're like me and, and Colin Talley Hall, your man of the match. Oh, definitely. He was the man of the match. I, I want to say that uh, Iguita played pretty well being run down because I felt like uh, both Neil and Carrasco disappeared for a lot of time during the match. Um, yeah. And he held uh, he held the, the, the midfield down, basically, for as much as he could. And we knew that just when you started watching that game after probably the first 25, 30 minutes, you know, we were in it, and then after that, you could see that the the Watergates were going to open up at some point. Um, but without Tally Hall back there, would have happened a lot earlier, and they would have scored a lot more. He probably had one of the best performances I've seen uh, of any keeper this year, and it was it was quite honestly fantastic to watch. I just wish he could have kept uh, uh, you know a few more out. Absolutely, and and Tally Hall was named to the MLS Team of the Week. Despite giving up three goals, you don't see that very often for a goalkeeper getting named to the team of the week after giving up three goals. But uh, that was the strength of his performance on Saturday night in Foxborough. Uh, Daniel, why don't we turn our attention now to the international break because it was a very key international break for Orlando City with with several very important players being out for a very important game. And during this break, you know Darwin Saren in the World Cup qualifier against Curacao, he goes down with a knee injury. We don't know the extent of it so far. We do know that he wasn't able to play in the in the return leg. And we're you know, where a knee is concerned, with only a couple months left in the season, if it's any any kind of thing beyond a sprain, it's probably the end of the season for Darwin Saren. Yeah, I I think it really depends over the next match or two, depending upon what it is with the knee. Um, if it is a sprain, quite possibly he could come back if Orlando hits a run right now because you might want to see him play the last couple matches as he is very important in that midfield. Um, but if it's something that could possibly injure him further, I don't see the team uh, rushing him back to, to hopefully yeah. get him back on the field because, again, he's, he's, he's put himself in that conversation to be uh, in the starting 11 next year and, and one of the more important pieces in Orlando's setup. So why would you want to rush him back and rush an, a knee injury and all of a sudden he either tears an ACL or a PCL? Again, cross your fingers and, and we hope it's nothing. But um, from where it's looking right now with so many questions out there and Heath not quite, quite knowing what's going on, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be back for the rest of the year. Yeah, and again, we we're just we don't really know what's going on. Um, this, the, you know, we're not doctors. We don't know what the extent of the injury is. Even Orlando City doesn't. So we're not saying that that he's out for the year for sure. But where knees are concerned, there are very few knee injuries that you can recover from in just a couple of weeks. And you know, the season's winding down. We're already in the middle of September, and you know, the season ends. You know, the end, third fourth week of October. So. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of season left, so if it's an extended thing, they'll just shut him down and, and save him for next season. Uh, Kaká also picked up a, a muscle strain. Um, I don't believe he got into the friendly last night against U.S. men's national team, did he? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure if he did. I don't. I don't think he came in because of the the muscle strain. Uh, he was supposed to. The the talk was he was going to come in in the second half, um, but he did not come in uh, in that match yesterday. He was not subbed in. Yeah, so it was it was a case of you know a couple of guys getting hindered. We don't think a cause is a long term thing. We may he may be okay, and maybe as a precautionary thing, you know he may have wanted to play last night, but maybe it was a smarter thing to to rest him, and maybe Orlando City will be at benefit from that by him being able to play on Sunday. We certainly hope to have the captain in the lineup. 
Uh, also, Kyle Laren should be back, and uh, Carlos Rivas comes back from his suspension. And like we said, Breck Shea may be in line for his first start since uh, going out against Colorado. So there could be a lot of reinforcements. The team plays much better at home than they do on the road, and we've seen that over the course of the last month. Uh, the team against Chicago that we saw probably should have won by four or five goals. Um, just had some trouble finishing that night. That's the way soccer goes sometimes. Uh, ended up in a 1-1 draw here at, at the Citrus Bowl. Um, if they bring that kind of performance, though, night after night at home, they'll win more than they lose, that's for sure. Oh, that's that's definitely right. And and I'm, I'm really interested to see what type of lineup comes out uh, this weekend because we're sitting here talking about Sarah not being able to play and, and Carrasco not necessarily looking good. His first match with Orlando, I thought he looked fantastic, and since then it's been kind of downhill with him. Uh, and again, that, that comes back to consistency. But uh, with Shea and Rivas and, and Kaká hopefully back and healthy, um, I, I'm not quite sure how he would fit in. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we only had uh, one defensive midfielder in there with Iguita because we have to go for points. We have to get the win. Uh, and you could see an extreme attacking lineup with uh, something like a Shea and Rivas, uh, Kyle Laren and Kaká playing up there with Adrian Venter as well. So uh, we might play some kind of form of a, a 4-1-4-1, uh, uh, and I would be excited to see that, to see what kind of possibilities are there, because we do have um, the, the offensive players, uh, the attacking players to, to put pressure um, on Sporting KC this weekend, and, and I'm hoping to see that type of lineup. I don't necessarily um, – I think that's the best lineup, and that's that's putting the best players on the pitch to uh, to go for the W. Yeah, I would personally I'd like to see this particular team in a 4-4-2 diamond if they could – you know, I don't know if Adrian Heath is comfortable coaching that, but I can tell you this. If you put Kaká at the top of the diamond and Higita at the back of the diamond, you got a good left wing and right wing attacking – put two at the top and maybe you play Ribeiro a, a smidge behind Laren. I think that would be a very formidable attacking lineup. Yeah. And you know, another thing that I was thinking about the other day is we, we saw that four through three that, that transferred and switched into a four five one against new England. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Luke, uh, since Corey's out, uh, most likely he looked like he picked up another injury, right? Luke at uh -huh. left back. And then we play a four three three with, with Breck in front of him and then you have yourself Carlos Rivas in front of in front of Breck playing a, a, a tough to end type of four three three style there, and on the right hand side going with Winter dropping back in that four three three, and uh, Kaká playing up top with uh, Kyle Laren as well. So that could be very interesting because that could uh, again go move back into a four five one very easily, um, and you could see that happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of lineup we have this weekend. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. I'm, it's it's going to be a tough uh, task against Sporting Kansas City, a good team, although they've lost three in a row going into, as we record this, tonight's game against Portland. Um, why don't we get to Sporting Kansas City a little bit, talk about them. Uh, we're going to bring in our guest now and uh, see what's going on with those folks out in Kansas City. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast is Thad Bell from the Blue Testament. They are SB Nation's Sporting Kansas City blog. Uh, Thad, thanks for being with us tonight. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to join you guys. So, uh, Thad, before we get started, you know, obviously, um, you know, some of our listeners would like to follow along with, with you know, what you guys are saying and, and get all the scoop on, on all things 
Sporting KC. Why don't you tell everybody where they can uh, follow on Twitter and find you on the Internet? Well, uh, I'm one of the writers and editors for the bluetestament.com. have to have the in front of it. Um, it was remarkably hard to find a good URL with blue in the name anymore. Um, <laughs> and my Twitter is actually at the back post, also with a T-H-E in front of it. And also you can follow the Blue Testament on Twitter as well. They'll, they'll be easy to find in a search, I'm sure. Yeah, Blue so, Testament, I believe. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to dive right into Sunday. Um, obviously the, the the big story from Orlando City's perspective, because you know, we're an expansion club, but most people around the league don't realize we've actually been together for a while now. We've been following this club since 2011. And one of the, the real uh, bright spots in our history in USL was obviously winning uh, the championship, playoff championship twice. And the second time around, we had a little help from uh, Dom Dwyer, who's now with Sporting KC, obviously. And, um, you know, our fans are very you know, excited to see him come back. And But what do you make of this this whole flap uh, earlier this year about uh, Adrian Heath saying that that this was the spiritual home of Dom Dwyer and that he wanted to be here? And, and Peter Verm is, uh, uh, you know, taking exception to that, as he probably should. Uh, what do you make of that whole dust-up? And do you think it is a, a, something that will create some bad blood between the two teams? Um. Yeah, I, I, it was kind of funny at the time because I was actually one of the first people who went, "Hey, wait a minute, you shouldn't be saying that." Um, when he uh, when I heard about it, he, to be honest, I I will uh, I will give credit to uh, Adrian that he was really just responding to fans, and I know there's a yeah. lot of fans down there who would love to have Dom back, understandably so. Um, and I I really think that that's pretty much what he was doing was just. Saying, you know, hey fans, yeah, we know we want him. We, you know, I'll do everything I can to get him, and you know, I keep being told no. And, and he probably just went a little too far in how he said it. Yeah, um, I think it's important to note that that that's the origin of this is that it was happened on a coach's call-in show, and the fans were asking about Dom Dwyer and the transfer window coming up and all of that. So, you know, obviously he, you know, he he made what was probably a lip service uh, response to the fans on that show. Absolutely. I'm pretty confident that's exactly what he was doing. He he did go a little too far in what he said. He needed to have a slap on the wrist to say, hey, please stop saying that because that is borderline tampering, or I guess they did say it was tampering. And I'm sure, I don't know what the, I don't know what the ever fine was. I'm sure it wasn't huge. Um, and that was, you know, that should probably be the end of it. I don't think Vermeese holds any grudges. I think he uh, liked working with uh Adrian, when they were when you guys were an affiliate with us, he's always said positive things about the club and the coach and everything else. I mean, that was one of the reasons he wanted to to work with you guys when it was when you guys were still in the USL. So I don't I don't think it would cause any bad blood from you know a coaching perspective. And as far as the players go, I don't think they would care one bit to be honest. I think uh, if there's any going to be any bad blood, it's going to be uh, somebody who wanted to take a chance to hack on Aurelian. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that actually, uh, you know, Dom Dwyer with Orlando being, you know, the so-called spiritual home, as people have said, a lot of people don't know that Graham Zussi's actually played uh, high school soccer here at Lake Brantley. It's from the Longwood area, which is basically just a small suburb of uh, of Orlando. So he'd kind of be coming back home as well. But 
I want to get into just the forms of both of our sides right now. Orlando hasn't had a win in six matches. Uh, you've had three straight losses. Now you're playing in Portland, basically as far as you could possibly get away from Orlando with short travel. Uh, what do you see your, your lineup looking like coming here with, I know, some injuries that you have, and, and do you think you're going to try to play a defensive style of soccer, even though you guys do like to go all out on the attack? Um, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, yeah, the schedule makers really didn't do us any favor in that trip, did they? Um, <laughs> no, not at all. And then, you know, international call-ups and everything. Fortunately, one of the uh, best decisions Clinton did was calling up Beesler and then returning him to us so we can, he can play tonight. Um, really, Vermees will tend to go with a very similar lineup time and time again unless something is just drastically wrong or he hasn't something to replace. But between injuries and everything else, I think he'll he'll stay with a very similar lineup. I mean, uh, uh, barring some kind of injury, I think you'll see Beesler and Ellis at center back. Um Depending on who plays tonight, you could see some combination of Chance Myers or um, uh, Dia or uh, Anibaba. I don't think he will probably get a start because he's coming back off of injury, and I don't think he's had enough time to get completely 100%, but he could be. Um, but Myers picked up a hamstring last game, so he's, I'm not sure if he's back to full fitness anyway. Uh, but you should see Sinovic on the left. Uh, again, he's coming back off of a massive long concussion absence, so you should see him there. Uh, Sony Mustavar back at uh, defensive mid. I think he's back, should be playing tonight. Phil uh, Haber at attacking mid. The uh, Paulo Nagamura also in the middle. Uh, Dwyer. Coming home uh, up top, Zuzi and uh, probably Jacob Peterson. That would be my expected lineup for you guys, barring a couple of potential injuries and uh, maybe our new guy Jordi Quintilla uh, sliding into the uh, the kind of number eight spot. Dad, the uh, the trade recently uh, between Orlando City and Sporting Kansas City. Amobi Okugo was brought in originally to be part of the spine and part of the future and, and one of the leaders on this team. And it didn't work out for whatever reason, and he was shipped off, and he's now in Sporting Kansas City. How has Amobi kind of you know, melded in with the group, and is he, is he settled in? And, you know, what are you seeing from him? Not much. <laughs> um, he, he got the one start when uh, – Everybody was injured and gone and such forth. Um, didn't do so well. Was subbed out fairly quickly, if I remember correctly. Um, he picked up some kind of injury somewhere where he wasn't practicing full time. But I think he's he, I think he's back to practicing regularly now. And he just hasn't. Um, he has he hasn't really just set himself out there apart from anybody else. I mean I mean, essentially we we sent you Sarando and it was almost the same thing. He was. He was a serviceable fill-in, but never was going to get a really starting spot, and I'm pretty sure that's the way Akugo is at this point. He might be, um, he might get some time this year, but I don't see him grabbing any starting time unless something really bad happens. Well, i, I got to be honest. Uh, Sarando has been pretty bad for Orlando since he's came over here. 
Um, was there any time when, when he was with Sport in Kansas City that you saw some kind of ability or, or hope for the future? Because really what we've seen here is just uh, lack of the passing ability that you, you would need for somebody to play a role that he does in a defensive midfield and really just a lack of pace as well. On a de- defensive end, players are, are, are running by him. He just seems to, to be um, playing on a lower level than, than, than uh, the people around him in, in, a, in a, good, a good part of the time. No, uh, yeah, I, I really can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I liked him. He was a super nice guy when I talked to him, um, and I wished him well. But he just I, – I will say I saw a little bit from him when he was playing. He um, – but it just never – he could never um, establish himself as being a guy you could rely upon, I would say. He was – he we weren't giving him a lot of starts. He got a few starts at the beginning of the year with some injuries and such forth. But he just didn't do anything that made me want to say, "Hey, keep him out there." Um, you know, yeah, and I think I think that's the difference between really good players and just role players is really that consistency, right? So it looks like maybe it's age or you know how many games he's played, how many minutes he has under his belt. He just doesn't have that consistency yet, which is uh, a little upsetting for us because we've had a, a lot of injuries here. But um, you know, I, I wanted to get back to to the the game that we're going to be playing here in Orlando and. Um, you know, it's going to be on turf, of course, which is something that you play on every day. Um, do, do you feel like it's going to play faster, and maybe that could play to your strengths? Dwyer's uh, played on that, of course, uh, here at the Citrus Bowl. He played, played in championship games and matches there, so um, it might be like home for him. And are, are you a little hesitant to see your uh, team play on turf, or do you, does it really even matter because they're going to play in that in Portland right now? Yeah, I would always rather see him play on grass just because, you know, I'm a little bit of a purist and, and I'm old and I, I think that way. <laughs> um, but I, and to be honest, I, I, will, I will ask the dumb question now to you guys. How good is the turf there? I mean, is it is it on the better end of the, what we get in the league or is it on the lesser end? Because, like, playing in New England and Toronto, the old turfs there was horrible. Um, you know, Portland wasn't too bad except it was always really thick. It played like you're a little more on sand from what I understood. But for, for well, how are you well, guys? Our turf here is is graded pretty well. The difference is it's extremely, extremely hot. Um, the, the sun just beats down on it all day long, and it just radiates heat. And a lot of uh, the visitors have said, "Oh my God, how can you guys play on this every week?" We played the LA Galaxy, and there were there were people, the players on the field talking to guys like Eric Avila out there and saying, how can you do this every game? So it's it's a little bit of a different monster in that it's it just retains so much heat and it just, like, cooks the bottom of your feet during the game. Yeah, yeah and I understand that. I was uh, I, I do photography also and I shoot a lot of the games. Uh, last year with the women's semifinal for, in the NWSL, I was standing on the turf that when they did the the, the – thermometer gun on the turf right before the game started it was 156 degrees wow uh so yeah it's kind of hot yeah uh, Fed, um, Fed, you mentioned uh you mentioned aurelian collin and uh you know he he scored a, a really really big goal in uh, sporting kansas city's history how are the fans uh viewing aurelian collin as as ha- after having left Kansas City. I, I understand that his form wasn't maybe the best his last year there, but you know, what are the fans of Sporting Kansas City? What's what's their mindset when it comes to Aurelian Collin? 
I would say there's a really large chunk that uh, miss him and would like to have him back, to be honest. Um, you have another, you know, probably 50-50 that, yeah, okay, he's gone. Um, we, had, we had Ike, and we were actually pretty happy with him until he re-injured himself. You know, he's good for his six to ten games a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's just, I, I love Ike, but that's the way it's been. Um, Aurelian, I mean, he was – him and Beesler were almost the perfect pair because Aurelian could go out and be reckless and Beesler could sit back and clean up. And, you know, Beesler could almost be an extra defensive mid and letting Colin come back and make the spectacular slide tackle at the end to, to make everybody go, wow. But it was usually because he missed the guy up when he was a little farther up the field than he should have been. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, I think a lot of fans will still love him just because he's been that, he was that guy who was, you know, he came in and he – uh, I did the first interview with him, and you know he—I forget exactly how he said it—but he, you know he's like, "I'll kill for you," to the fans, um, and he pretty much did. I mean, there's quite a few opponents out there that pretty much feel like he did try to kill them. <laughs> the uh, so he—I mean, he's—he's he's that guy that's just willing to go all out, and you know fans will miss that. Um, a lot of people saw—you know, you, you have fans who watch the game and see the spectacular play and you have the fans who watch the game and see the full entirety of the soccer play. So the, maybe the people who saw the full entirety of the soccer play realized how good Aurelian was and where he wasn't. And the people who watched the spectacular play that made the highlight reel and the goal he scored go, Hey, he was the greatest thing, you know, since sliced bread or since sliced French bread. Um, but yeah, he's, it's a mixed emotion. I mean, we have a lot of people who still miss him and love him, and we have a lot of people who are like, yeah, okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, Thad, before we let you get out of here, um, I wanted to kind of figure out from you what you think the key matchup of the of the game is going to be. Where do you think the game will be won and lost? And obviously, we got to get your final score prediction. Uh Actually, I, I I will go with uh, the players we just talked about, Dom and uh, Aurelian, or at least your your center backs. If he can um, get running at at them, I mean that's where he tends to be best is when he can get up a little head of steam and then blow by some people. But he can you know create a problem for Colin to foul him or whoever else is back there with him. So I think that that will be a key matchup of whether we can get in the ball and then if he can. Uh, you know, create some opportunities off of those guys. And your score prediction? I hate doing that. Um, but I will say 2-2. Two, two. I, I, <laughs> we haven't been playing really great ourselves. And I think we're finally starting to maybe come out of it. We, we play for, you know, most of the game and we play for half. We do well. And then, um, getting some people back off of injury, getting some people rest the last couple of weeks. Um, I think that will probably help us, but we just need to get back in that rhythm. All right. Well, you know, getting people back from injury, that would be a wonderful thing to have happen. We don't know what that's like because <laughs> it seems like when guys are getting ready to come back, other guys are going out. So um, it's been, it's been pretty rough. And now on this international break, Darwin Saren got hurt. And um, and Kaká picked up a knock, a, a, a thigh or a, a, some kind of muscle strain. So, you know, we don't really know what we're going to see on Sunday in terms of a lineup. But uh, there's a possibility we'll see Breck Shea back in the lineup. So that could be interesting. 
But uh, Thad Bell, thanks so much for for coming on with us and and telling us a little bit about sporting Kansas City, and we'll be sure to check in with you again uh, real soon. Thanks a lot, Thad. Uh, No problem. No problem. Uh, Hopefully they do bring a a Kugel back so he can return to his spiritual home in Orlando. (laughs) Good lead. Sorry, I just had to. (laughs) All right, well... Well, you know, it, we would we would gladly uh, take a Kugo back if Dom comes with him. We'll just put that out there. <laughs> yeah, let's just not go there. No. Um, right. hey, guys, you, you guys are actually a, a team that I've rooted for for when you were in USL. I, just, I really like you guys, and so I do want you guys to do well and beat up on the other expansion team as much as possible. Uh, obviously, not when you play us. So we, we are hoping the same thing. Thanks a lot, Ed. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're just about done with this edition of the Mainland Podcast. We want to thank our friend Thad Bell from the Blue Testament for being on the show this week and appreciate him coming on and telling us a little bit about sporting Kansas City. Speaking of SKC, Daniel McGann, uh, what do you see as the big matchup, uh, the key matchup, what has to happen for Orlando City to get a W, and what has to happen for Sporting Kansas City to get a W? Well, I, I know Thad talked about you know Dom Dwyer and, and our back line being a huge matchup. I, I think the matchup's going to be in the midfield. I think it's going to be with uh, Krishna Gita and uh, Benny Failhaber. I think uh, Failhaber, as we know, has got eight goals on the season uh, going in tonight with uh, Sporting KC playing in Portland. Um, and he's the catalyst for that team. He's the creator. Um, he sets Dom loose on, on those passes and those through balls, and, and Iguita is going to have a big task uh, uh, going up against him, especially um, without or could be without uh, uh, Saren there next to him. So I think that's going to be the key matchup for Orlando, and if, if Iguita can hold down that defensive midfield, then I definitely think uh, with, with our players coming back and hopefully an offensive-minded uh, lineup, we could get a win, get those three points. Yeah, Failhaber in the middle scares me. He's having a really good season, and he's going to be a tough guy to stop. I think going forward, for me, a big matchup is the, the Kansas City back line. Guys like Matt Beesler in there, If he, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be back in, in form and, and and playing in that match. And he is a veteran guy. And those types of guys are good at shutting down young players like Kyle Lahren. And Kyle Lahren's been pressing a little bit, I think, in recent games. So I think, to me, that's that's a big key. If Orlando City's looking at Kyle Lahren to provide goals, then that's a big key for me, is Lahren going up against Beesler and that Sporting Kansas City back line. So uh, I think that's the key matchup for me. And, of course... The midfields against each other are always huge in, in MLS, and you know hopefully we'll have Kaká back in the lineup and maybe even Breck Shea for uh, at least part of that game. Uh, but before we get out of here, Daniel, let's get your super sure not to happen this weekend prediction. <laughs> I'm going to go 3-1 Orlando. Uh, Orlando's not going to be able to keep Kansas City out, uh, but I'm going to say Kyle Lahren comes back with a vengeance and talking about the matchup with their back line. You have Kevin Ellis, uh, who is a little bit on the, the, the shorter side uh, and uh, against Kyle Lahren, and you have Matt Beasler, but we've seen Matt Beasler uh, get overpowered by bigger, stronger uh, strikers before, and I'm hoping that's what Kyle Lahren's able to do and, and put Orlando on over the top. I am going to hope that the, the immense amount of travel and the South Florida or Central Florida weather, hot, humid weather, 
takes its toll on Sporting Kansas City. And I'm going to say 2-1 Orlando City, even though it's been like, I don't know, three or four or five years since we scored two goals in a game. <laughs> but uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go out and make that bold prediction. 2-1 to the Lions. Of course, our, our predictions are not to be taken to your local bookie. Uh, <laughs> Unless you want to take them to that. me. <laughs> we would not recommend that. Uh, so uh, I think that's about a wrap for this uh, number 28 episode of the Mainland Podcast. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Thad Bell. You can find us at themainland.com. It's Maine like a lion's mane, M-A-N-E. And we are on Twitter, at themainland, also M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N, in uh, in that particular venue. So uh, please check us out online. We'll be back next week to talk about Sporting Kansas City and uh, look ahead to the next game. And uh, on behalf of Daniel McGann, I'm Michael Citro from the Mainland saying, Go City! <laughs>